I'll be too nervous to. I'll probably lost the words. Welcome to the latest edition of the Lost Words podcast. I'm joined today by Sporting Life's Ben Coley in uh, Jason's absence this week. And uh, we're going to look at the British Masters and the 3M Open. So welcome, Ben. Hi, Tom. How are you? And uh, yeah, hi to Jason. I'm, I'm sorry he couldn't make it for you this week. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's flicking his wounds. He likes to talk. He'd had an hour angle on this one again. He sent me, I asked him for a couple of picks and one line justifications. And he gave me 20 lines and 20 picks. So uh, yeah, there's plenty of him to say, even though he's not here. But I'm doing well. How are you? I, I'm all right, thank you. Yeah, not too bad. Um, I kind of, and we'll get to it later, I guess, with the with the 3M. But kind of glad to breathe out a little bit on the PGA Tour this week. It's, um, I know this is going to be the, the words of someone who backed Tony Finau last week, but it, it just feels like a nice time to sort of draw a line under it and just uh, isolate this event before we go into major season. Uh, so yeah, looking forward to this week. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know one of the things that we've really focused on the PGA Tour the last few weeks is that how good the quality of fields have been and how good the events have been. Especially everyone seems to enjoy the, the Workday charity opened the first event at Muirfield. And then over the weekend, I think a lot of it turned into frustration with the course. A lot of things saying, obviously, that they'd lost it through the setup and things like that. And, and of course, it does produce a brilliant winner in John Rahm. But it does, it does lead to a lot of people being unhappy that players have gone so far backwards over the weekend. Yeah, um, a frustrating one for a lot of people. I know a lot of people were on Danny Willett last week at a big price. And I mean, I, I got Tony Finau eighth and it, it's a bit of a hollow victory because, you know, full well, as someone who writes a preview that, you know, at least half of the people who followed that selection probably only got seven or six places. And, you know, clearly from where he was at uh, about two hours into the the third round, it was just about the worst case scenario. Um, I, I do think they lost the course. I, I think some of the pin positions on Sunday were were just frankly silly um and and it's one of those things it's because it's jack and you can't you know you can let him off and they, they were digging it up obviously as as early as the back nine yesterday they started digging up the front nine and, and i think we can probably just write it off as a as a one-off thing but i think it's a and we, we probably don't want to get into it but it's a dangerous thing to go towards when people are getting frustrated with say bryson rocking up and hitting it 400 yards like I think we got a good demonstration for quite a lot of that tournament with Finau, actually, that it's not going to, making it hard like that, it's not going to stop them doing it. They might succeed less, but Finau was hitting driver everywhere. Um, and I just don't think that the answer to golf's long-term problems is going to be found in making things silly. And I think yesterday, um, on Sunday rather, there, there were a lot of good shots not rewarded. And, you know, um, that's a bit of a shame, but I will say this, that was a, one of the best weekend performances I've, I've seen in a long time from John Rahm and I say that after he came home in 41 it, it I, I think that sums up the silliness of, of all of it but a worthy winner in the end yeah I think absolutely I think you hit the nail on the head there that I think as well a lot of people when, when we say about it getting silly I think a lot of people like to see these tough setups at the US Open where one time a year you know it's going to be really tough and and you kind of like to see the players getting punished but when it's a uh, an event that sort of players were 12 under and 13 under through sort of three rounds and, and they suddenly go miles backwards on the final day where it just looks impossible to shoot a really good score. I mean, I know Patrick Reed had a good score going. Uh, looked like he was playing a different course until the, until the weather warning. But, it you know, it, it does. It just seems like, you know, Jack gets a bit of leeway because it's Jack and things like that. But, yeah, it, it was a shame to see it end that way. But like you say, it, it brought out a worthy winner in John Rahm. He's now world number one. Uh, after a few weeks where he sort of looked to be playing below par, really. 
Yeah, and again, I think that's been a bit of a feature of the of, of the return of golf. Like, on the one hand, I think you probably feel the same, and I'm sure a lot of people do that. You actually look back and think, you know, what, I could easily settled on all six of those to win. You know, this, it's not really that difficult to find Daniel Berger. Say, if you'd said, I don't think the lockdown will stop him in his tracks he would have been an obvious one uh webb simpson at heritage um saying no more obviously dustin johnson um colin morikawa like winning his second event at a jack nicholas course another course where his iron play was going to work um, i'm going to miss one here but ram um obviously as well and you look back and you think yeah they were all they were all findable but actually all of them came in with something of a question to answer um including dj including ram and you know if thomas had won the week before which he really should have he'd have been winning on the back of a miscut which morikawa was anyway so it's been somewhat strange like that like it's been that little second wave of the market um with with bryce and the exception where players have just had one question to answer and i think someone said it at the weekend these these guys at the top they're never that far away and obviously with ram that 64 last sunday was oh now it just looks like the best clue you could ever have had um, but obviously conditions were very very different and he showed how adaptable a player he is yeah absolutely i think you know when, when you put dustin johnson up yourself for the, the travelers win and I was sort of like, you know, on one hand, I was like, actually, he's quite good value considering the type of player he is and his strike rate. And on the other hand, I was like, well, you know, he's not shown enough. I know there was a couple of clues the week before, but, you know, th- these players are, are the best in the world for a reason. And, and as you say, even with Daniel Berger, who was a slight outsider, he was still well back to that week, popular, playing well. So there, there's not really been any real surprises, has there? I think we all sort of expected maybe a, a real long shot to win just because of the break. And, and it hasn't really panned out that way. And, you know, I think, like you say, the one question mark, one question mark for me, especially in Morikawa's case, was at Muirfield Village, was his short game going to be good enough? Um, and he made it. And, OK, I think there's some question marks still over his putting. But there is, certainly, if they can just do above average in, in those sort of categories, that they can just string four rounds together. Yeah, and I, I think the the top players in the world, I mean, there's been a lot of fuss these last few weeks. You know, Bryson's going to go and dominate the game, and now all of a sudden Rahm's going to be world number one for the next three years or whatever, and, and Rory's got his problems again and, and what have you. And the fact of the matter is there is very little between the first and even the 10th best player in the world. You, you can probably make that group a little bit smaller to maybe five or six players uh, who, are, who are a little bit better than the rest. But on any given week, any one of them can win. And I try not to dwell on it, actually, because I think it would you'd talk yourself into changing careers quite quickly. But DJ's a great example. Like I, I'm not saying this self-deprecatingly. I was lucky that week because I thought my case was around DJ basically having driven the ball brilliantly at the Heritage and his ball striking coming back to the sort of figure where he, he tends to win tournaments. Well, he didn't hit the ball as well as he... I think it was probably the worst he's hit it in any one of his wins, but um, he capitalised on some mistakes from Brendan Todd and... and you know, just about beat Kevin Streelman and a lot of the good players didn't play particularly well and, and he holds some putts and sometimes that's what it comes down to, right? I mean, you know, anyone who bat Morikawa, like equally, I think I was very, very unlucky not to have the winner of that tournament. If you bat Morikawa, you feel like, yeah, I put those pieces together and, and I got rewarded. But you also, you know, you got one of his best ever putting weeks and, and obviously on Sunday, the best ever ball striking uh, round of his PJ Tour career. So, yeah, it's all those little pieces. They're, they're, they're confusing and complicated and we do our best. And I think it probably underlines why nobody just selects the same player every week because, you know, that that's part of the challenge, part of the fun and, and part of the frustration too. So I, I think for a lot of people, as I say, you, you know, apart from those who back John Rahm, a lot of people will be looking forward this week to just say, right, okay, let's forget about worrying whether it's Rahm or it's Deshambo or it's JT. Um, I don't doubt someone somewhere will be backing 
DJ, but you know, you've got a tournament favorite in the 3M Open who shot 80 twice last week. So <laughs> I think that really does underline that we have stepped down a grade and, and all of a sudden anything seems possible. And you said there that we probably expected a bit of an upset maybe towards the start. And I think actually that's the closest we got, not only with Berger at what was he 60 to one, but Jason Kokrak, you know, his, his sort of Sunday charge that almost looked like it might win it. And, and since then, really, I guess you've had Kevin Streelman. I know Jason was keen on him, but he's one of those. That you, it, 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 it's always out of the blue, and yet it's never out of the blue because it's Kevin Streelman. So, yeah, um, I think as we've gone on through these weeks, things have become more predictable until Jack threw that spanner in the works, and yet still we, we got that world-class winner. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, just to touch upon the last bit of moment, really, on the, the Morikawa win was that, like you say, I mean, uh, JT started really poorly on the final round, then really rallied back and it looked like he couldn't lose again uh, to, you know, late bogeys uh, late on. But also Morikawa very nearly missed like an 18-inch putt uh, on the 18th from regulation. You think that was his real vice, and that's why I find it so hard to get... Not I don't not buy into him because he's obviously a world-class player. He hits the ball as good as anyone ever has. Um, but he he does have that vice. And and like you say, he was not not lucky to win because you, you, know, you don't get lucky over four rounds, but it really was JT's to win and kind of threw it away in the end. Yeah, I mean, I, I said in my preview last week, he won the tournament three times and, and didn't win the tournament. Um, I think, if, you know, all of us dwell on our bad luck. And I, I think everyone who, who bets on golf and previews golf tournaments is guilty of like, you, I, I see it every Sunday and I have to stop myself replying to some tweets because I know I do it. Um, and it's where someone will say, someone will say, oh, so-and-so would be, it'd be five clear if he putted. It's like, you're only looking at him. Um, <laughs> yeah. And if someone else has backed someone else, they probably think, well, if he'd have put that and, you know, and, and so on and so forth. And um, yeah, it's, it's the greatest game in the world, but it's the most frustrating. And I, I think you have to, I, I think it makes you appreciate when you, when you get the winner, like it, I, I think the longer I've done it, um, I'm not saying I get better at, um, feeling sorry for myself because I don't think I do. And I think anyone who read my stuff last year will know that, but um, you do learn to really appreciate the, the days when you're right. And also I, I think I'm getting more enjoyment. Sorry, I've gone very personal here, but I, th- I think I'm getting much more enjoyment than I used to from just having someone in the mix on Sunday. Yeah. Um, and I think I, like last night was a great example of that. I was watching that back nine thinking, you know what, this has gone horribly wrong for Fee now, but you know, he's he might still place here. I've got something to, to follow. And, and if it doesn't happen, then we'll go again next week. But yeah, I yeah. guess that's the, the fortune of having had a good year so far. It's interesting you say that because obviously, like you said, I think I got I had a little break from doing the previews uh, a year or so ago because I just felt like when I, you know, I was, I was doing all this work and, and there was a lot of formulas and I was getting deeper and deeper into stats and things like that and, and looking for trends as opposed to just sort of picking what maybe stood out to me each week. Um, and then you just feel really down when it isn't a winner, even if someone finishes fifth and you get, you know, and there was tied places and tied money and stuff like that, you, you kind of get really down and think, oh, you know, it's just not going to be my week. Whereas this time around, especially with doing a podcast, I think talking out uh, the reasoning and just and having someone to bounce off, it gives you a real sense of uh, enjoyment over the week and, and gives me a reason more to follow it than I did before, maybe. So I can I completely understand what you're saying there. Just let's go into the the British Masters here, and it's that close house, which is where it was in 2017. Um, and I don't think there was really any strong indicators that week of, like, and I think you've mentioned the same in your article, that that was really what type of player we're looking for here. I think it's just, you know, it's a low-scoring event. Um, there's a score out there with it being a short and scorable course. Um, and and you just got to really find the best form and who you think can perform well on this week, given the break that we've had on the European Tour. Yeah, I think the the first thing I I looked at 
um, you, you know, I think all of us have a tendency to look at the winner and think, okay, well, that that's our sort of start point. Um, Paul Dunn had a, a career week um, around the greens and on the greens, really. And, um, you know, that, that chip in at the, the final hole to beat Rory, well, uh, the job was already done, really. But to, to sort of rubber stamp his, his win was brilliant. But I don't think it necessarily tells us a great deal. Um, I do think it probably tells us that the course is not automatically one you'd think could be overpowered um that being said they've added a par five this year um i think they're actually teeing off from a different hole i think they teed off from the fourth um when they played there in 2017 and now i think they're now teeing off from the first um so uh, you know that, that shouldn't change things fundamentally but they, they have changed one of them to a par five uh, and we have got two par fours there that were just about drivable anyway um they played the ninth and the 17th last time i'm not even going to try and guess which ones they're going to play this time i'm sure people <laughs> who've played the course will know but yeah I, I didn't think it was necessarily one you'd think could be overpowered um but it has been a fairly wet summer um well certainly the last four weeks anyway and the uh the addition of that par five i you know i i wouldn't rule the the bigger hitters out but it, it does look a, a fairly open book if you like because like you said we've got one one tournament to go on or two if you add the euro pro event that was there a couple of years before and it's just not a great deal yeah absolutely and just is there i know there's a couple of courses that you sort of linked it to uh, in your preview and the couple of people i've spoken to and myself in sort of um in my research i found that the, the trophy hassan links quite well and klm and places like that where it's kind of a a fiddly size track that kind of awards good driving and and good iron shots in but that sounds like a good formula for any course doesn't it so it's hard to really i don't think there's a correlating course because there's only one year it's not as easy as some of the others that we pick up especially on the pga um but i noticed that you picked up the european open from a few years ago yeah it's one of those that you you're you're absolutely right like there's no way we can um say with any certainty that any one course correlates with this one um but because it's so open it, at the same time that sort of pushes you towards wanting to because you're trying to look for something to to cling to in the hope that it does pay off and i don't think there's anything wrong with that i mean we are in the sort of speculation industry i suppose um but bad Griesback, where tong chai jaidi won the european open and alex levy beat him the year uh, sorry won it the year after um i thought that was quite interesting because of robert carson robert carson and florian fritch um who you know, obviously Carlson was a great player 10 years ago, but in, in more recent times, he's not been a regular contender. Um, for him to be in the top five here, I think he was a 54-hole leader, in fact, and for Florian Fritsch to, to finish uh, with a wet sail and get into the top five, when you see those two names together and then you see them both in the top seven of the European Open in 2016 uh, when Alex Levy won it, I think that's quite interesting. And then I looked a little bit further and Graham Storm had been second at Bad Grease back a few years before that and went on to finish in the top six or seven, I think, here um, in 2017. So they have three fairly low-grade players, if I may say that, that, that have popped up at both courses. And I, if anything, they're, they're, they're fairly modern. They've got these sort of fairly big, dramatic bunkers. And, you know, you can you can find ways to link them. And, I, and to be honest, I don't always believe it has to be aesthetic. I think if you see the same guys popping up in two courses, who cares why, you know, um, yeah, for whatever reason they, they have done so. So that, that was something I touched upon. And it, it's the reason for one of my selections, but in fact, two of them. But um, it, it wouldn't be something to get carried away with. It's just something to keep an eye on, I think, because uh, at some stage in the future, we'll be back at Close House. I know they're very, very keen to have a, an annual event here. Um, they've met some resistance there, but if they do get that through and they've got a lot of money with Graham Wiley um, involved, you know, we, we could be going here for years to come. And if that does happen, it'd be best to gather as many clues as we can. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, 
it you know i think the european tour is in a bit of a it's, it's kind of stuck at the moment and they've had a really bad blow with the pandemic because i think they're already trailing behind the pga tour uh and now they're even further behind whereas every week they're getting the best uh fields assembled in the pga tour the european tours started that bit later maybe to kind of see what everyone else is doing with the with the testing and things like that to make sure they get it right first time um and now because the majors are, are close in america they, they kind of can't get the players over here with, with the quarantine that's needed to happen because, you know, Tommy Fleetwood and Francesco Molinari stayed back here for quite a long time. Uh, and I thought that especially Fleetwood was going to be here this week. Uh, and now he's just gone over and, and playing in the 3M Open um, because he's he wants to get a three-week stretch in before the PGA. So they are they're struggling to attract the names. Obviously, Westwood's here because it is his course and his home course and where he's helped with, with the design. Um, but... You know, it's, it's when you look at the first two names in the betting. So you've got Lee Westwood is is a nine to one favourite, which is okay. It's short, but he basically you know lives there on the course. And uh, and Thomas Dietrich, who I know you're keen on at fourteen to one, who um, you know many people are going to put resistance against that kind of pick. But in this quality of field, what price can you make him? Yeah, that's it. I, look, the, the the wider European tour issues there are complicated and won't be easily solved. I think as soon as this thing uh, hit and they, they suspended the tour, you, you had Keith Pelly very, very quickly saying, you know, the future of our tour is, is changed probably for good. And um, although I, I tend to agree with you, it, you know, they have been struggling a little bit. I think generally speaking throughout his tenure things have improved i think the rolex series has been a huge success and they've been able to to just about um keep their heads above water with the way they've gone about things and some very very smart thinking and i, I think they're going to have to find more of that because they they are going to find big big problems here they've, they've already got problems with sponsors and they have done for some time so um we'll see how that goes i mean it, if anything one of the knock-on effects could be more golf in the uk um so f- from a very selfish perspective that's a potential positive but um going back to Dietrich, I, I i i can hear the cries from from probably the majority of people on twitter if not the majority <laughs> of my readership saying you know oh, it doesn't win bottle job and you know i got that all last week with Finau and i i get it i really do um but i i would be more lenient than most i think with these guys and i think the key thing to say with Dietrich, and i actually think it applies to Finau. how many times can anybody remember Dietrich having a chance to win on sunday uh, now this can you, know, you can take that as a negative because um, the fact is that there have not been many. But I went back and I looked and I thought he's just one of these players who, who plays well every week, but he doesn't really have a chance to win. So I'm not going to tell you that he hasn't got the the bottle to go through and do it. And I, I think really the, the three occasions I would say he's had a really good chance. The BMW International Open when he was a rookie and he birdied I think two of the last five, and somehow Andres Romero finished with a with a wet sail and won that tournament. I think he came home in 30. Um, and then I think you have to go forward to last year's Ned Bank. And he was disappointing, although I think he outscored Ustez and Anzander Lombard in the final three ball. But, you know, it, the Ned Bank is a tough course. It was windy. And and more to the point, they were playing for two and a half million dollars. Um, now, just because Marcus Schinnelt managed to overcome that um, that distraction doesn't mean we shouldn't be fairly lenient with, with those who didn't, like Dietrich. It would have been an, a, an enormous event to win for his first tournament. Um, so the only thing I've really been disappointed was was Mauritius, and I say disappointed at the time as I was cheering on Antoine Rosner. I was delighted that he managed to get it plugged in the bunker on 17 on Sunday. But um, I think he's very very close. I think his golf over the last year is of a very very high standard, and I think he's the sort of player that when he when when he wins one, we will look back and think 
that Thomas Dietrich is a bit special. I, I don't think he'll be on the European tour for much more than another year or so. I think he'll very much be following the path to America and trying to get membership there. So, um, yeah, it's it's not a massive price. But the one thing I would say is you can get as many as 10 places this week. And with the, the preparation he's had, um, winning a good pro-am and then, and then playing well in Austria, I, I see him finishing the top 10, simple as that. So, yeah, he's a strong fancy. Yeah, also, you know, there's there's a lot of, I wouldn't say lazy comparisons, but there's a lot of obvious comparisons with him and Thomas Peters, obviously both being Belgian, uh, both hit it a fairly long way. Um, and as you say, you know, it, it, Thomas Peters overcomes sort of early question marks and won a fair few times already. There's no reason that Dietrich can't do that. People go on a different trajectory, and I think if people don't come out and win straight away, there's there's way too many question marks straight away. And I think, you know, you're right with Fee now. I think I'm willing to give him a chance. I spoke to... Uh, Paul Tazori on the podcast uh, a few weeks ago and we spoke about at the Phoenix Open when Webb won and I said well Webb actually won that event as opposed to Finau throwing it away um, yes he made a questionable decision uh, not to go for it on 17 um, but if he'd, have, if he'd have gone for it and gone into the water okay he might have got up and down and saved his pile but there, there would be just as equally amount question marks on it you know it's just one of those things that you, you do get beat and Yes, okay, and in the Ned Bank, Dietrich did shoot a 74, but equally, Tommy Flitwood had to shoot a 65 to win that day. So there's there's so many different variables, and just looking at them and going, okay, well, they come second, they keep coming second or third, why don't they win? Um, it's all about situation, and Dietrich shouldn't feel that much amount of pressure playing this week as he did in those other situations, I wouldn't have thought. No, I, and I think... Um, I think you're right and I think with a player like him like he's got a really good attitude and I, I said that about Finau earlier and I do think it's important like I, I think there is a difference in or there can be differences in the way you uh, the way you lose and the way you deal with it and you know I, I accept that words are only worth so much but players with the good attitude to go and, and do it again and, and learn from their lessons I, I think are, are obviously sort of predisposed to, to overcoming things that others perhaps couldn't and I think Certainly with Finau, I, I think he's been damn unlucky. On, I mean, Xander Schauffele in China the year before last, uh, he had no right to win that tour. He birdied, <laughs> birdied 17 and 18. Nobody had birdied 17 that day. Yeah. And what can you do, you know? And, and, and Webb did the same to him in Phoenix. And, you know, his time will come. And I, I got it all last week, and I, I probably shouldn't reply. But, you know, all you have to say is Jason Duffner and, you know, Jimmy Walker and, you know, Sergio Garcia winning a major. I, I, everybody would have, all the people on Twitter will come and say, Sergio won't win a major. I, I tipped Sergio actually ahead of the final round of the Masters at four to one to win the Masters. And I got, you know, inundated. Oh, you're kidding me. You can't win majors. And it's like, well, <laughs> he can, I'm afraid. And and the problem is, it, Matt Cooper will tell you about it. I think he's read the book um, about uh, skin in the game is the, the phrase I'm sure are you familiar with it when and and i'm guilty of it too don't get me wrong but when you've got nothing to lose by making an outlandish statement they're easy to make um when you're on tv or dare i say when you're writing a column like people can hold you to what you say and therefore you have to think a bit more or you should think a bit more about what you do say and and that i think why is it what is why it's really important to keep an open mind so there you go there's your explainer as to why thomas dietrich and tony fina will both win this week how would that be for you <laughs> That'd be good, wouldn't it? But also, just to just to quickly follow up on Dietrich, is that he has been playing pretty well this season before the pandemic. You know, he had a, a tied sixth in Saudi, he was seventeenth for Qatar, um, you know, and he was eighth last week in the Austrian Open uh, a couple of weeks ago. Sorry, um, where you know, okay, should he have done better? Possibly, but it was the first bit of goal for a, a long time, um, and it's certainly no. No failure to finish inside the top ten at any event, really, and and it just sets him up well for for the week ahead. 
yeah, he had a nice finish there. And you, don't get me wrong, after his first round, you probably think he's going to kick on and, and be right there on Sunday. Obviously, I was happy he wasn't. But um, for him, I think it doesn't take much to work out that he would be very happy with that. Like I dare say he'd be happier finishing eighth there than he would be finishing eighth this week because it's a case of working backwards. I, I guess in a similar way, a very different level to, to Tommy Fleetwood over in the States. Like if he finishes eighth this week in the 3M Open, he'll be over the moon. You know, if he contends for the PGA and finishes eighth, he'll probably be a bit disappointed. So um, I think it is a part of a wider process. I think it's something we see a lot more these days with players um, using actual tournament golf as a means to getting to the next tournament and being... Uh, a fever pitch for that but yeah with Dietrich I look I, I can't say enough how good I think he is I think he's one of the best iron players in Europe um, and I think he's got enormous potential um, to, to be whatever he wants to be it depends you know if he gets luck and, and works hard and, and things go his way but um, I'll certainly reserve judgment on whether he can get over the line and I think really if your start point is can they win on Sunday you're really narrowing things down to a very small group of players. You're taking a lot of things uh, to chant or, or as chance because there are a lot of things you wouldn't be able to answer. And for me, as a very, very broad rule, I think it's more about do I think this player is going to play well or outperform their price to put a sort of cliche on it. And I think with Dietrich, outperforming his price is a difficult one at 14 to 1. But do I think he's going to play well? Absolutely. You know, I, I expect to come home from a round of golf myself on Wednesday and see his name towards the top of the leaderboard. So we'll, we'll worry about whether he can get across the line on that back nine on Sunday, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. Another player that you, you've gone for this week is another player full of potential, uh, a Spanish player in Adri Arnos. Um, he is a player that we've been sort of keeping an eye on for, for a couple of seasons now, but he, you know, in this class of field, he is one of the names out that does stand out even early on in his career. And uh, he, he should have another good week this week, you'd have thought. Yeah, I was a bit surprised at his price, to be honest with you. Um, I, I will say right now that on the evidence of 2017 and what Arnaus has done in a fairly brief career so far, if you'd said to me, where do you think you should be backing him? I don't necessarily think close house will prove in the long term to be the ideal course for him. Um, but I don't think prices of 40 to 1 um or anything but generous to be honest I, I, I've gone very heavily on the idea that playing over the last two weeks will be advantageous because I think having a, a scorecard in your hand and not just a scorecard I mean there's been loads of golf going on across Europe but you know playing for a proper European tour title and for still fairly significant prize money under tournament conditions even going through the coronavirus protocols and having the tests and knowing what you're allowed to do and and all those things like these players have had a have had a, a dry run um and i think that could be massive you look at the head of the market there's only really those two um who are right at the front of the market who've, who've been through it all uh with with use not playing so um with our house i think he's got huge potentially again i think that's fairly obvious to anyone and the one sort of i guess extra angle i would add is that he he's been friends with john ram since they were about seven years old um seeing ram go to the very top of the sport i i don't care what anyone says that has to inspire you um you know all of us are inspired by our friends and family i would think and why shouldn't golfers be different and and if we're only talking you know we if he if he improves a couple of shots for it then um you know from where he was uh, last week then that puts him right in the mix so yeah i'm fairly hopeful with him as well yeah absolutely i think you know like you say there people get mocked don't they for going down the inspiration angle but every, every week Tom every single week yeah <laughs> but you see it I mean there was uh, I can't remember exactly I think it was David Lipsky and uh, Colin Morikawa exchanged messages the night before they both won um, two weeks ago and 
you know, they you wouldn't think of them as anything other than you know just American friends, but they they obviously pushed each other to get that final round done and, and get the win and get over the line. And if, that, if they're as close friends as they they see Marnas and Ram, then then they're going to exchange messages. He's going to say well done and go and do it yourself this week. And and that's the sort of push you need sometimes. And and it's interesting to say about the two weeks he's had out there um, is that yeah okay they're not. They're not fields and events that you can really judge their scores on to give you a huge indicator of this week. But nothing will surprise him this week when he turns up and gets put through the COVID testing and and where he can stand and what he can do. He's not going to go, oh, you know, I wasn't expecting that um, because he's done it. Whereas you know, a Ryan Fox who's who's coming into the country or wherever he's coming from um, could be you know pleasant, pleasantly or unpleasantly surprised by the situation and find it really awkward or really easy. You know, you, you have no idea. And, and that's the variables that you don't really want to be dealing with on a thought at short prices in the market. Yeah, I agree entirely. And it's a pure coincidence. We've, we've not prepared this that you mentioned David Lipsky because he's one of the best examples, uh, not only last week, which I, I hadn't read that. Um, you go back to 2018. He had played abysmally for months and months and months. And Kurt Kitayama, who was his traveling companion, if you like, on those on the European tour, like Kurt just joined the European tour. They were rooming together. They'd roomed together the previous three weeks. Kurt wins in Mauritius. Two weeks later, Lipsky wins the biggest title of his career uh, in the Alfred Dunhill Championship. So, you know, it happens all the time. And what people will say is, oh, well, yeah, but you only read about it when it does happen. And that's true. Um, but we have to take that on board. You have to accept that you can't know everything and that not every theory, like I'm not arguing that is 100% certain that Adrian House is going to play better this week because John Rahm won on Sunday. I'm arguing that he might. And, and you know, I, I one thing I will say, and some of them would deny it, um, but I think in, in the age we are in now where most bookmakers don't have a golf team, um, some of them don't even have a proper golf trader, um, you know, there's a lot of price scraping, but also there's, you know, they're pricing up more tournaments than ever before, and they really haven't got time to read all the stuff. Like, they'll, they'll tell you some of them, oh, yeah, I read all the transcripts. I, I don't believe them because I know a couple of golf trades. I know how hard they have to work to price up all these events every week, and I know what they do. And it's really hard for them and, and the, the biggest advantage anyone can have and it you know it, it's not alone it won't work for you but the biggest advantage anyone can have is that I go right I'm looking at this tournament this week and you've got to look at six of them um which is why I don't preview every tour in the world because you, you just the minute you spread yourself that thinly you can't possibly know all the stuff that we know and the other thing I'm sorry I'm having a right go at golf traders here many of them are very very nice and expert mathematicians among other things um a lot of them don't really like golf that much. And I think there's no substitute for it. Like there are some golf traders who happily say, I didn't watch it, not interested. And I just watch golf whenever it's on TV because I love it. And and that puts you at an advantage. So I've gone off tangent there, Tom. So I'm sorry about that. But um, <laughs> okay. yeah, um, Adrian else for second place behind Detry. Yeah, so that they're 14 and 41, 41 respectively. And the next sort of person I'm going to talk about because he comes up fairly close in in the selections here is, is Alexander Bjork. Uh, he can get a sort of 55 to 1 about him, but he's more around the 40 and 50 mark. And, uh, you know, we spoke very briefly at the top about courses that can possibly link up and there was the trophy Hassan and the klm and places like that um he's had a third and a ninth in morocco so if that link does work out then that could really work in his favors and he was second in this event in 2018 okay a different course um but he's also had two top eights in france where accuracy is rewarded as well um he's been a very good player for a long time now uh, a lot of potential um, he's got over the line in China, which, uh, again, he was another player that people have question marks over about whether he could get over the line. He's done it. He's had a host of top three finishes. Um, and I thought it was really pleasing to see him, one, come back with a sixth-place finish at Qatar, 
just before the break, but also he has played in one of Robert Carson's events in July, um, albeit only finished 20th in a you know a Swedish only field. But it is preparation, and you can sort of get a rough guess at where his game is at. And I thought, at, you know, at 55 to one and 50s, I thought it was a decent price in this field. Yeah, I did some of those events. I mean, I think the one you're talking to uh, talking about there was 54 holes, wasn't it? Which immediately, like most of the the ones in in the UK certainly um, have been one round. I know, you know, Marcus Armitage would be a great example. He's played just about everywhere for the last <laughs> month or so. And and I think, you know, quite understandably, some people will want to play him this week because he has won at Close House on the Euro Pro Tour. Um, but the Swedish event, just because we don't know that much about some of the other players in the field, I wouldn't underestimate how good they are. And I think three rounds is is definitely advantageous over the one. Um, I, I had big worries about Bjork actually for a while last season because he's, for about three or four months his his ball striking just went off a complete cliff um and sometimes that you know that can proceed a, a real plummet um and it's to his credit actually that not only has he managed to bring it back and he played really really well in qatar um but even when his ball striking went off a cliff he he still made the odd cut here and there and i i think he's scrappy and and he knows how to score and um, you know that that'll stand him in good stead, and yeah, he nearly won this, didn't he, two years ago when he, he pushed Eddie all the way. Um, and you often find Scandinavians playing well in in the UK. So yeah, I, I could certainly see uh, a big week from him, and and he's certainly good enough. You know, he, he's probably not dissimilar in his skills to Paul Dunn actually. Like a, on his on his best form, he's a quality iron player who puts well. So yep, I can see where you uh, where you got to him from. Yeah, and I completely agree with that. He is promising that, yes, like you say, he lost a bit of his ball strike. And I was wondering, you know, seeing his results each week, I was thinking, hey, how do you get to this stage after playing the level that you have been playing at? Um, but it's very easy when you speak to golfers and you, you say, like, you know, it might be something that you've overworked on, you've tried to implement a change. They've only got days to implement changes that could really take weeks and then they have to play tournament golf. So if they're trying to work on something during the week, the results are going to suffer. And You don't know... Without talking to them, their processes, they might be happy with just getting through the four rounds um, until the changes you know, take place. And that might not even have been the case for Bjork. But at the end of the day, this season now, he's got a 27th at Saudi, a 6th at Qatar, and you say the 20th last time out in Sweden. Um, and, he, and he's got form in Britain. So I just thought at a reasonable price, he was, he was one that stood out for me. Um, and the next one I want to talk about is Julian Suri. Um, now... He is a player that really kind of took the European tour, not by storm because he, you know, wasn't as dominant as to say someone like Brooks Kepka, but he was of that ilk and the Peter U lines where it was an American coming over to Europe. Um, he won in Denmark. He's finished second in France um, and should have won the Hero Indian Open as well, albeit for a you know poor final round. But he's got a, a lot of good form in, in these sort of correlating tracks. He's finished second in Morocco. He's uh, fifth in the British Masters that we just spoke about in 2018 as well, um, and he just recently won an APGA event, which you know might not mean much. It was, a, but it was a four-round event. He shot a 62 in the first round, and he's on a ma- he's had a massive injury now because he's had sort of bone splints removed from his wrist. Um, but he seems to be back now. And the last time he was back from an injury layoff was in uh, the Malaysian Open. He finished 20th that week, so maybe the the layoff and the recuperation won't do him any harm. Yeah, it's certainly possible. I, I I had a good look at him for similar reasons. I have to admit, I didn't find that um, that form you just mentioned. So that's it's all good. It all counts. And um, yeah, I think I think he's somewhat interesting for sure. Um, I think you touched upon it there with with Bjork, like the layoff. I think 
for some players, it's not a good thing. I, I think in general, if you're playing well in the spring, there's no real reason why you can't come back and play well in June. I, I know it's not happened for Rory, but most players have, have somewhat held their form. Say Daniel Berger would be a good example. Um, but it, for some, it, the time away from the course, and it very much what I was hoping for with Spieth, and I think he'd tell you that it has been hugely beneficial for him, but they, they just don't get that big a break anymore. And I think Mark Warren's a great example. Um, you know, he's, he's had that, four months to sit on the sidelines and, and think about things and really reassess but also work hard and he said he's just gone back to hitting a draw with every single shot doesn't care where the pin is he hits a draw um and it's worked for him and yeah you you could certainly see how that would be the case with with a player like bjork who was just trying to find some form in the spring and surrey it'd be really interesting to see if he can kick on he, he certainly goes well fresh and he's got bags of ability he's one of those that if you if you rank them by ability um, he'd be half the price he is, but um, because of that layoff, uh, I think you know you, you're getting 66 to one or whatever you're getting. So yeah, why not? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is a, a standout price of 80, but 66 is kind of more the the reasonable price. Um, I know you've got another couple. We'll sort of go through these picks a little bit quicker now because we do want to get onto the 3M Open. But you've got another two picks at a similar price to Suri uh, and one three-figure price as well. Yeah, so Richie Ramsey, first of all, um, he I must admit he was borderline. If he'd gone 50 to one, I probably would have left it. So if you haven't got the 60 or 66 and you're not sure, I'd, probably he's the one you could leave out. Um, he tends to play well in Britain, uh, including in this event. 2017, he was eighth. Uh, he was very close at Hillside last year. Um, you know, probably would prefer a bit worse weather than we've got coming this week but um basically he, he ups his game in the uk um he played golf sixes with mark warren they're good friends um that can't hurt because their their absence uh, win absence if you like is basically similar i think it might even be the same year 2014 was certainly when mark warren last won before this year and i think it was probably the same for ramsey um so you know they, they've got parallels there um but it's more really that he is a good player for these uk courses where it's not necessarily going try and overpower them um alex levy is one of those i'm hoping as you are with with bjork that um any improvements he'd started to show back in february and march have really taken shape um he's working with sean foley for about 15 months now and um he sounded pretty confident about it all. He played in a French training event, which I mentioned the last three weeks now, um, and he finished fourth. Well, I know you can be sceptical about these things, but um, in third place was Julien Brun, who finished sixth in Austria last week. Uh, so, and he was 250 to one or whatever. So I think Levy's interesting because he's another, if we rank them by class, you know, he's a five-time European tour winner playing against a lot of players who will never win five times at this level. Um, and just the last one's Richard Bland. Now this really is a bit of a shot in the dark because he missed the cut here in 2017, but he has two top tens in as many stroke play starts at Bad Griesbach, the course we mentioned earlier. Um, he's been playing really, really well in like 18 hole charity events and things like that. He lost a playoff, which is, fairly i nearly tweeted on brand as a as a pun and i thought it was a bit cruel uh, that he'd lost <laughs> that playoff but you know he is clearly one of the tours nearly men um and i'm not expecting him to win but he's 150 to one he played with eddie pepperell three weeks ago and shot 61 at a par 72 to give you an indication of where his game might just be um so yeah he he's the each way one but uh he, he'd be the the most hopeful of, of the, my five certainly yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, when you when you put up Bland, I think when you see a price like that and a player like that, you think, okay, well, how has he picked him? And when I took a deeper dive into it and and realised what what lines you were going down, I thought, well, you know, it's not a bad selection at all. Especially again, as we keep sort of alluding to, is the quality of field. Now there is better, much better players than Richard Bland in the field, um, but the depth isn't great. You know, once you get past the sort of first ten, fifteen players, 
um, there's a lot of question marks over everybody. So taking three figures about someone like Bland isn't the worst case in the world. I just want to summarise Jason's picks. He's uh, he's picked Rich Ramsey the same as you for similar reasons and more so to do with the the links to the KLM Open and, and Morocco and places like that. Um, he had Alexander Bjork as well. He's gone James Morrison, Scott Jameson and David Horsey as well. Uh, Horsey based on uh, the form that he's shown in these one-day events that we just alluded to. Um, and also for similar form around the, the similar tracks that we're talking about. And it is a case of taking a couple of punts, I think, in this field. I think, you know, a name like David Horsey, who wins, you know, a fair amount of events in this uh, in this talent uh, level, is, is not a bad price. You just take a chance and... If, if they stick out, they stick out because, you know, it's not on the week where there's a very clear favourite. Um, you know, Westwood's obviously a short price, but there's certainly question marks over an eight to one on him. Um, so why not take a take a chance on some of these longer shots? Yeah, I think there there that's basically my approach to most weeks, to be honest with you. But there are a lot of players shorter than than some of those. I mean, they they wouldn't necessarily all be for me by any means, but there are a lot of players shorter. You think well. No, not really. I mean, Paul Dunn's a great example. He's defending champion, uh, sort of de facto defending champion at the course, if you like. But it's three years ago. He's barely played around a golf in the last six months that we can actually measure. And he's he's a lot shorter than than Bland and than than Horsey and 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 some other players like that. And they're you know, I don't know, a player like Alejandro Canizares. I, I thought he was showing some signs in the spring, but he's he's into eighty to one now. He's the sort of player that should be one hundred and fifty to one, and you might have been interested in him. Um, so I, I find it fairly easy, and I think that's where it comes back to just um, reading a lot about these players, and but also following the tour week to week. You get a very good grip on just about the hierarchy of things, and uh, sometimes Jameson would be a good example. Like, he's better than that price. He might not show it, but he is a better player than that. He's a better player than Marcus Armitage, who's eighty to one. Um, whether he shows it or not, we'll see. But uh, yeah, I, that's. I think it's always a very, very good starting point. If you could actually, you know, and I'm sure some people do, just rank them by their actual total strokes gained over a long period. I mean, that's how most people's models work. Um, and then you work backwards from there. And I think when you do that process, you tend to find some of the similar names, I guess. It's why a lot of people will throw up the same selections every week, even if they are those ones are 100 to 1, although I don't expect many will be starting with Richard Plant. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go on to the 3M Open. As we said earlier, it's a bit of an easier test than last week obviously um last year it was a shootout it was expected to be a shootout um but i think the, the weird thing with that is that people automatically think it's going to be a putting contest because they think our oh, low price you've got a putt well um now matthew wolflon last year was 39th in strokes game putting morikawa finished just behind him 47th uh, and there was more in the top 10 ortiz was 37th burns 38th uh, hideki 48th in putting it wasn't it wasn't necessarily needed to shoot low scores obviously some of them got themselves in based on their putting um but i thought it was much more important to look at the approach and tee to green figures this week yeah i totally agree with you um there's always room for a brilliant putter isn't there and there, there always will be but um when the greens are so easy to hit as they were they're fairly big greens and, and last year they were soft i, I don't think be quite as soft this year but they'll still be fairly easy to hit i think streelman you know missed about seven all week um he led the field in greens hit. When when you're setting up that many chances, it, it really isn't about who's the best putter. It's really about who's hitting them three or four feet closer than the other guys. Uh, if you're putting from nine feet rather than 12 feet all week, the, the, the worst putter will win in that scenario, generally speaking, you know, over a long period of time. Um, and, and that's why when you look at it, it's it's fractions. But when you look across the four strokes gain categories, 
um, approach play tends to be the one where you can make the most ground. Like if you have a really good day with your irons, you can do what Morikawa did a week last Sunday and, and gain sort of six strokes. Well, um, you know, players like him can can stack that up and gain 10 or 12 strokes in the tournament. It's very, very rare to do it with a putter, but more so it's it's rare to string that together and do it week in, week out. So, yeah, I, I generally don't like siding with good putters, um, which which makes for sort of tortuous weekends sometimes. But I have got a couple on my list this week. But um, for me, it's it's more about looking for players who make loads of birdies. And I know that sounds obvious, but if... I think if you took Wolf and Morikawa and you put their birdie average into the official stats from last year and they, they didn't play enough rounds to qualify, I think Morikawa would have been third and Wolf would have been seventh. Uh, Bryson was 17th. I think Wyndham Clark was about 10th. Troy Merritt was 10th or 12th or something like that. He finished seventh. There are a lot of guys in that leaderboard or on that leaderboard who just make birdies for fun. Um, and that's what you have to do. I think everybody up there had a period of nine holes at some stage where they shot 30 or 31 or in a couple of cases, 29, I think. So uh, streaky players, the ones who, who rattle together, um, you know, runs of six, seven birdies and nine holes are the ones you're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is the thing is that when it's such an easy course, you have to find something to to find a variable don't you and and just saying okay well he made the most putts on sunday isn't isn't the case it's who made plenty of birdies uh who set up plenty of birdie opportunities now um the strokes going approach are probably be very difficult different from last week because um you know it was such a hard course to hit the ball close last week um and certainly people were taking lots of different routes so you know, normally I kind of just look at the weeks before strokes going to figures and sort of go, okay, well, he stood out. Has he been doing it for a sustainable amount of time? Was it a one-off week based on the course fit, things like that? Whereas I think sometimes, like, you know, there's going to be a lot of focus on did they play well last week? And But one thing we've learned doing these podcasts is that not all missed cuts are equal. And I think sometimes missing the cut, especially last week at the Memorial, might have done some players a favour because... That was a horrible test over Saturday and Sunday, and they might just be relieved not to have been out there. Yeah, I think that certainly could be true. Um, although one of my big price selections did play well last week, I, I certainly wouldn't be put off um, by anyone who who just had a tough week. I think you get some... A good example would be the Honda Classic. I, I can't remember which player I was looking at in the spring. Um, they'd lost like 10 strokes uh, with their approach shots. And you think, well, okay, that's that's a disaster. It suggests you've got some fundamental problems. And actually, it probably just means they hit a couple of balls in the water at 17, um, which can happen. I think last week, players could have been very, very happy with their shot and they've pulled the wrong club and it's gone you know, 20 yards over the green um, and, and, they, and they lose a, a good deal. And um, yeah, I wouldn't write it off entirely, um, but certainly I don't think it's a, as easy as just going, well, yeah, these guys are hitting the ball well and therefore they'll continue to do well. And it's why I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if Brooks or DJ, you know, emerged from what happened last week and, and stepped up their games considerably. I mean, DJ is a good example. Like he, he hit like three or four good, sh- uh, sorry, bad shots on the Thursday. And he shot 80, right? But I watched every shot on PGA Tour Live and he, he probably hit like four really bad shots and maybe four quite bad shots. And he lost about 12 shots for them. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and that's what happens in these these tournaments. And yeah, you, you know, I wouldn't write it off, as I say, but I'd certainly take anything good or bad with a pinch of salt. Yeah, absolutely. And is there any sort of people at the top of your market that you're going for? Because, you know, there's a lot of, people that be looking at this going okay well, there's, there's the likes of lucas glover at 35 to 1 there's the likes of um you know sam burns is only 50 to 1 but these guys are, are showing some good form and, and the field's weaker so you have to keep that in mind um 
So when you're looking at things like 11 to 1 for Dustin, that doesn't seem like an outrageously short price based on the numbers of other guys in the field. No, it doesn't at all. And, you know, I, I think Kepka would probably be the one that I'd be somewhat tempted by, but I, I won't be putting him up. Um, the only player, we all have players every week where we'd be annoyed if they win, right? Um, you know, Ron would have been one last week, to be honest with you, but um, we, we go again. But um, the the only one really for me, short of about 35 to one this week is Russell Henley um, because I think he's a terrible price um, versus what prices he has been and and in probably more so you know he missed the cut here last year I know he wasn't playing well but um, he's hitting the ball so well he's hitting the ball as well as he ever has and he's become a poor putter and it's driven me mad uh, I put him <laughs> up at the at the work day and he finished in a big tie for seventh he you know he hit the ball almost as well as Morikawa that week which is saying something um, so he really should have finish third or fourth maybe um and i put him up in the honda when actually i i put up sung jm and he won but i henley really was like he hit the ball well enough to win that as well or at least have a chance so he's he's the one who stands out like if you're looking for someone who's going to stack up 16 birdie chances in a round and what we just said at the top there about how these birdie fests don't really tend to develop into a battle between good putters they're actually the guys who can keep hitting it six feet um all that's positive but he really is putting very 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 badly um and therefore at 33 to 1 i i'm happy to let him go but he'd annoy the hell out of me if he won yeah and that's the thing isn't it at 33 to 1 you have to be sort of adamant that all their sort of facets of their game are good enough this week and yes we have spoke about putting not being necessarily important and you could probably finish in the top you know 10 without putting well but at 33 to 1 you're very definitely going for a win um you know so if you don't think that his putting is going to put him in contention or it's going to take him out of contention in his case um there's going to be a question mark over that um i was surprised to see fleetwood at 16 to 1 i know that he's uh you know a class player in this field but i thought that he would be a lot longer than than the likes of or not long longer but fairly longer than the likes of dj and, and brooks um you know they've been playing you know out here for the last few weeks uh they're accustomed to everything. They're, Dustin's obviously won, and, uh, and and Fleetwood's only a couple of points bigger, or in some cases shorter. So um, it it sort of confused me a little bit. But again, he's a class player. He tends to pound greens, and that's what's going to be important this week. Was there any sort of interest from you on on him this week? I, I was interested only to learn that he's he's staying in the Hamptons. It's not a bad life, is it? Um, <laughs> and he's been playing Shinnecock, which. Um, you know, there, there is absolutely no question in my mind that Tommy Fleetwood doesn't really want to be playing this tournament. Um, he'd rather be playing in the British Masters, he, or he, I, I dare say he'd even rather be at home. But he's decided, basically, he's come out to the US at the latest possible point at which he feels he can be properly prepared for the PGA Championship. So he's working backwards from Harding Park. Um, he's had to put himself into a situation that he isn't comfortable in. Um, as a as a father, um, in a way that say Matt Fitzpatrick is as viewed things very differently, so he wouldn't interest me at all. To be honest with you, that's not to say you know he's Tommy Fleetwood. Whenever we're talking about a world top ten or world top fifteen, whatever he is now, player, um, you know they they can come and win and make fools of us all. But um, yeah, sixteen to one, I you know you get three times the price or well twice the price for the PGA Championship, and you know of course Harding Park where he played well a few years ago. If 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 you've got a positive view of Fleetwood right now and you think this has been a nice or a clever way to prepare or anything like that, I'd just back him for the PGA. Uh, if he wins this week, great. But um, I, I wouldn't lose any sleep if he wins at 12 or 14 or even 16 to 1. No. 
So where, where is the shortest price selection that you're going for this week? I know obviously you haven't published your article as the time of recording, but I'm sure it will be out by the time this is posted up. So. Ooh, I wouldn't be so sure, but um, it depends <laughs> on what you work, Tom. But um, I've not, I have to admit, I've not finished my preview. Um, and there are a couple of decisions I still have to make. Um, but the two at 50 to 1 and shorter, or only just shorter, that I am dwelling on now are actually Sam Burns, who you mentioned. Um, he's got a very, very similar game to, to Wolf, I guess, and to, to Wyndham Clark, who nearly won this last year. Um, and I think we, you know, when the new wave of these talents comes along, we get swept up in them and we forget about maybe the ones that are just behind them. Um, and it, Will Gordon's been a great example of that because he's gone off some very, very big prices for a player uh, with such a great amateur pedigree. Um, and as far as Sam Burns goes, you know, when he when he came up playing on those sponsors' invites, what, 2018 was it and he was playing really nicely at the Valspar and the Honda I think as well I, I think we all thought he had the world at his feet and he's had some injuries and things like that but when he dropped down to the Corn Ferry Tour he very very quickly showed us how good he was at that level and, and I think he's a player with a very very big future and um, what I really like about right now is that he's strung together three top 30s in a row which is really really good and, and rather atypical for a player like him who's explosive and prone to the odd shocker um, these have come since the restart so they're in really really good fields um, he's not played as much as some have so this will be his fifth start in what seven weeks and he had the weekend off at the heritage um, and as well his approach play which has at times been really poor um, it really looks quite solid at the moment he uh, he was 14th in strokes gained approach at the workday two weeks ago. He was 37th at the Travellers, which when you marry with 11th off the tee is, is a perfectly good enough platform from a ball striking perspective because he is a very good putter. Um, so there's loads to like, and, and I think it probably is a little positive that he didn't play last week. Um, the other one up there is Eric Van Royen, who um, I'm sure this won't have escaped everyone's attention, but it probably will have escaped a few people's. Uh, he went to college in Minnesota. Um, when I dug closer into that or further into that, he's actually played this course a lot. Um, they've given him a sponsor's invite because he went to co college there. Um, he says he can't wait to get going. His caddy was also at college with him and has played the course a lot. So they're, they're definitely an advantage there. And I think that's just a nice little thing to find out. And then you start to dig and you, you look at you know his wider form. And I think the way he played last week, although, as we've said, it's probably not... Um, the most reliable of form guys, but he did absolutely flush it. Uh, he was second in strokes gain approach and really he just needed to have putted better and, you know, putting comes and goes. But what I would say with Eric is that he's probably never putted on greens like that before. Um, you know, they, they were, they were like 14 and 15 on the stem. Well, he's just not used to that. Not in South Africa, not in Europe and not even in the tournaments he's played in America. Um, probably no secret. He putted quite well in Mexico when the greens were a good deal slower. So um, I think he's really interesting as well. So one or one or both of those two will certainly feature in the staking plan. Yeah. So that is a really interesting point on Van Roy and his, you know, they are the sort of things that you're looking for and you think, okay, well, is it 45 to 1? Is that, um, you know, an overreaction to the fact that he's a popular name on tour at the moment? You know, the guy that kind of is coming over from the European tour and stepping up. Um, but with the information you're given there, it's certainly not. And, you know, I know I sort of made a comparison to Sam Burns's odds at the start of the, you know, as we were talking about it. But 50 to 1 about a player that has finished inside the top 30, you know, for the last three weeks and finished seventh here last year, um, you know, really isn't a bad price. And you think, what you know? What else does he need to do to suggest he's worth picking? It looks like he's going to be a very popular selection, um, and I'm just you know you're looking at the sort of the names around him, and there's as many question marks, if not more, about them than there is him at the similar price. 
Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, a player like Doc Redman, who's been um, subjects of a lot of conversation over the last few weeks, um, some good, some bad. But, you know, Doc Redman's a very, very promising ball striker, certainly. Um, but I think Sam Burns has achieved a little bit more. Um, I think he's got, you know, I, while I don't think this is about finding um, just great streaky putters or anything like that, I do think I would have some concerns about siding with someone who has shown real issues around the greens um, and on the greens. Um, Henley, as, as we mentioned, but also I think Redmond would be the same. And you've got players like Henrik Norlander. He's, he's solid, but he's been around a long time. He's, he's got nowhere near the scope of Sam Burns. And, and then you get to Patrick Rogers, who's very in and out, and he, his approach plays still a bit of a concern. And Carlos Ortiz, 66-1, I think Burns is better than these guys. Maybe not Rogers. You know, if Rogers does put it all together, and I, I wouldn't talk anyone out of him on Leighton's ability. But I, I'm just trying to highlight, really, that once you get past kind of Bubba Watson at 35 to one. Um, you, you very quickly jump into a, into an altogether different category of player. Um, and there's no reason Sam Burns shouldn't be right towards the top of that category, because as you say, he's, he's got the, the most obvious things we look for. And I didn't necessarily think um, that was reflected in his price. I, th- I think there are players like Lucas Glover, who've, who've got a similar combination, who, who's in at 33 as well. From today onwards, Sam Burns will win more tournaments. So um, yeah, I'd be, I'd be fairly hopeful he'll give us a good run. Yeah, absolutely, as well. And I think the thing that it sounds weird that I liked it, but last year he ranked um, 50th in the field for strokes going to approach, I believe, um, and still come 7th and was 38th in putting. So he did a lot of his stuff sort of off the tee. Um, and I imagine he's going to, you know, you, you suspect he's going to strike the ball better than that this time around. And if he was already that close last year, then why can he not go closer? Um, so, I, you know, I'm really interested in Sam Burns at the same price. Um, another guy that I'm sort of interested in that, a similar price but slightly bigger now uh, is Troy Merritt. Now he played well here last year um, and he's been in good form as well and when you look at it on the surface of things he's won twice uh, on the PGA Tour, he's won on the Corn Ferry Tour as well. Uh, similar level fields to, to what he would have played at and won in and uh, we talked, spoke about the Bay Hill earlier and the link to that and obviously this is an Arnold Palmer design course, Arnold Palmer has a lot to do with Bay Hill when he finished third there in 2016 um, I just thought he was a really interesting pick, especially when he was eighth at the Rocket Mortgage uh, two, three events ago. Um, sort of suggests that he's up for this sort of event. Uh, and the miscut last week at the Mora doesn't really bother me so much when he finished 22nd on the same course at the Workday Charity Open. Yeah, Troy's one of those um, that I was talking about, really. Like, he, he doesn't, on the face of it, look like he is that good a putter or is that good approach play or whatever. You know, you look at him, he's got a fairly humdrum set of skills. Um, but for, for whatever reason, throughout his career, he's been enormously streaky. Uh, people with long memories might remember the Kodak Challenge uh, about 2010. He won a million dollars by making the most birdies on a certain hole um, throughout the season, kind of a version of the Wyndham Rewards, but a bit better. Um, and he, he beat, I think he beat Ricky Fowler in a playoff for that and someone else who escapes me maybe John Sendon or something. But anyway, the point is, and you go back to his college days, he used to win loads and loads of low-grade college tournaments. And it's because he, he just got a 60 in him. And he really has. He's one of those guys. Who, if he goes seven birdies in nine holes, you're not surprised. Um, the, it, it's He's one of those, though. The only thing I would say is that I find it a bit unsettling when he's in good form. Um, because 
I feel like everything he does comes out of the blue. And when he's when he's when I've got something tangible, I feel like there there must be this is almost too good to be true. Which is just a very that's a personal thing. Um, we all have our players that we feel you know we have these different feelings towards. Um, obviously he's won he's won a couple of times as you said, and both of those wins came in summer when it was hot and 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 generally low scoring as well. So yeah, I, I wouldn't put anyone off Troy Merritt. He's certainly capable of four rounds in the 60s, which you know won't won't have you too far away. It's interesting what you say there about the fact that when he's playing work, it kind of puts you off. And I had a similar conversation with Jason last week about uh, Siwoo Kim. Um, you know, he seems to do his best when everyone's expecting him to be poor. He's off a you know, run of miscuts, same with James Harm, people like that. And when they start streaking weeks together uh, and it doesn't happen, I don't know if they just become frustrated, like, OK, well, this is the first time I've had three or four weeks of really good form and, and I can't capitalise. Or, you know, whether they're just under less pressure because they do just win out of the blue. I don't, I don't know what it is. It could be anything, couldn't it, really? It could be. I mean, Siwoo's had a lot of parental pressure in the past. I know that, but um, whether that's played on him, I don't know. But I, I can't tell you how keen I was on him for the Rocket Mortgage Mortgage Classic. I wouldn't have been alone that week, um, and he was fairly dire. Um, and then last week, he, you know, he hit really well again um, in the Memorial. So he's he's one of those. I think if you look at his last four tournaments, he's, uh, I think in the Travelers, he drove it really well. In the Memorial, he his irons really well in the workday charity open he was quite good around the greens and um in one of the others maybe the rocket mortgage he was quite good on the greens if he can piece it all together um he'll be a force and we know that when he when he does piece it together he's got an amazing strike rate of like when he's in the top 15 or so he generally gets you the place money you know you look at his recent good finishes if i can use the word recent um the Wyndham last year fifth uh three top fives at the start of last year that that's what he does when he's when he's around at the weekend um, and he's, you know, he's healthy. He's one of those, you know, you back him with some confidence um, in play, I suppose, for all that he, he messed up that heritage a couple of years ago, which still gives a lot of people nightmares, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this, that was one of those weird events where, you know, Satoshi Kodari comes out and, and takes an event away from him. Um, there was another player at this price point who I was interested in, and there's obviously a massive factor in the sense of the, the COVID-19 situation, is Dylan Fratelli. Now, he's playing on his own at the moment because he's tested positive for the sixth or seventh weeks in a row. Um, he can't you know, can't be played with other people. Um, but I, I was speaking with Jason not so long ago, and I, I think he's a, a massively improving player, um, maybe even further on than maybe we expected. He won the John Deere last year, which is in a similar part of the world. Um, was eight for the Heritage when we came back out, 22nd last week. Um, and he also played Bay Hill well earlier in the season at tied 18th. Um, I just thought that, you know, maybe in this class of field, um, we know he can go low scoring, that potentially it suited him. And when you look at last year as well, he shot two 66s and really just had a poor final day to, to see him fall down quite dramatically on the leaderboard. Yeah, um, I looked at Fratelli as well. Um, the John Deere Classic is a decent enough guy for this. It's, you know, it's different different type of golf course i suppose aesthetically but the the basic skill set um seems to be the same sort of thing and you know he's, he's playing really solid I, i'm just a little bit worried about how unsettling it's been for him or whether he, he doesn't seem he seems fairly phlegmatic about it um he seems to think he's probably never even had it or at least certainly doesn't have it anymore and, and is not bothered but I, you know it it's not a good thing to be playing on your own when everyone else is in a three ball and, and you have to play a bit slowly but he's dealt with okay um i'd just be worried if that you know let's say he gets into Sunday and he's still playing on his own. And I should qualify this by saying I, I'm not sure what they would do or, or when his 
uh, one ball is going to run out and he's going to get to play with other people again. But if he's the leader through 54 holes playing on his own, you know, that could be really strange. And I know it's, you know, it's a, it's a good problem to have if you're back to my 80 to one, but it's the sort of thing that just puts me off to be honest. But yeah, it's the, it's definitely the right sort of test for him. And he is, he's definitely quietly improving as well. I mean, as long as he's in play off the tee, he's a very, very good player. Yeah. And that was the thing that, that is the one sort of hang up point on him for me is that, you know, how will you react to playing on your own he looked in great spirits last week I was a bit concerned that he was desperate to meet Jack Nicholas after the round and, and fist bumping him when Jack Nicholas has come out and said that he tested positive for coronavirus at the start of the you know the outbreak and that Dylan Fratelli has it whether he thinks you know he's ill or not um, but I just thought that you know when he was 46th here last year he, he fell 37 places on the final day so he was obviously in decent form he just won at the John Deere um or he's just going to win at John Deere, sorry. So he's obviously striking the ball well, but it, it just it just strikes me as someone that could come on and kick on in this sort of event, especially when there's not a whole host of big names in the field ahead of him. Yeah, he's he's more qualified than a lot of players. There's no doubt about that. You know, he's he's always been a good player. He's he's worthy of a good deal of respect as well because. From what I gather, when he was struggling on the Challenge Tour, maybe seven or eight years ago, he he really was hitting the ball off the planet, and uh, a lot of people thought you know, whatever reason, he's going to have to go and try something else at some stage. So he's picked himself up from that. And, and he's, I think he surprised me, to be honest with you. Um, I think I'm probably guilty of when I see someone doing that, I kind of, I, I, I don't write them off, but I probably do tend to think, well, that, that'll come and come and bite them again at some stage. And he, he's done really well to win a couple of events on the European tour and, um, and then to go and win on the PGA tour. And I guess there's some similarities, like the John Deere Classic is an event where, yeah, some great players have won it. But basically, it's a good chance while a lot of people are not there, they're flying to the Open Championship or at least preparing for it. Um, it's a good chance for someone to, to put a run together and, and, go and go and earn a breakthrough. Um, obviously, Bryson even had his breakthrough there, uh, Jordan Spieth a few years ago. So something to bear in mind for these, these events as you're approaching a major um, and as people maybe take their eye off the ball i think they they are generally a good chance for for someone to to pop up at a big price like that yeah absolutely i know we spoke very briefly earlier about before you came on uh, about a name that, that you're interested in it's someone i've spoken to recently on the podcast uh we you refer to him as the other norwegian uh in the field and that's christopher ventura and is that because he's a he's a birdie maker isn't he he makes plenty of birdies he he sort of compounds them with too many mistakes at the moment at pga tour level but um, he's in good form, uh, playing well on the Corn Ferry, finished tied eighth last time out. And uh, do you think he's got a good chance here this week? I think he's really interesting, yeah. I mean, obviously, you, you look at his form and you have to remember that um, a lot of it's at the Corn Ferry Tour level, but he played really well in the Rocket Mortgage Classic. And I, I would think that this course is just a bit better for him. It's a bit more expansive off the tee. Um, you know, that the course at the Rocket Mortgage is an old Donald Ross. And I know there's a lot of cutting of corners, but he, he really is a big hitter. And I, I think at times he will have had to scale back a bit there. But his form on the Corn Ferry is 4th, 49th and 8th and then he had 21st in amongst that um, in the Rocket Mortgage. So it's really, really solid. I'm not going to tell you this is a Corn Ferry Tour standard event. It's stronger than that but don't underestimate certainly how strong the Corn Ferry Tour is these days um, and generally speaking players, you know, we saw it with Chris Kurt, didn't we? He won on the Corn Ferry Tour and he came up and he contended straight away back on the PGA Tour and it's not necessarily uncommon um, providing we're, we're at this sort of level. Um, the thing for me, I mean, you, you said there he makes birdies. I think he's 22nd in birdie average. He's missed eight of his 13 cuts. So he's barely playing rounds. Um, and, and he's, you know, shooting numbers in the 70s, generally speaking, and he's still making four and a half birdies around or whatever it is. Um, so that in itself is interesting. The fact that he's 
put together this run of making cuts, which he's never really done. Even on the Corn Ferry, he won twice last year, but he missed most of his cuts. Um, he was the uh, he tied first with Scotty Scheffler on that tour in birdie average for the season, um, and and I just think he's putting it together. You know, he was twentieth behind Hovland in Puerto Rico, and he's come back from post lockdown, and he, he's really started to improve again. He's got loads of potential, um, and he's very very similar in in profile at least to Wyndham Clark. So I, I definitely am hopeful that he can he will just go for it and be aggressive. And as I'm sure you you established when speaking to him, that's kind of his mindset. Um, and I, around here, it can definitely pay off. Yeah, absolutely. And as well, you know, one of those um, efforts he had on the Corn Ferry Tour, it was the worst of them when he finished 49th, but he was at the King of Bear Classic, which is another Arnold Palmer course, and uh, he shot a 65 and a 66. So I think that, you know, provide, I don't, you know, whether the layouts are similar or not, they're designed by the same person. Um, And I just think that anything like that can give you a good indicator. And he is a rising talent and he will be, you know, he'll, again, like you said earlier, he'll win more than the people around him. Um, eventually in his career um, I think he, he sort of spoke about the fact that he's kind of uh, tried too many difficult shots, tried to put pressure on himself to hit certain shots in certain situations rather than just playing within his strengths um, but he's an excellent putter um, so if it does come down to a putting contest as some people think it might um, that would be a good good indicator as well the other person I was interested in, in talking on the um, Corn Ferry form uh, guideline is Ben Martin, now, this is a player that sort of stood out for a long time on the PGA Tour. Uh, he has won uh, once. He's had a, a whole host of top four finishes, a second at the John Deere, which we've uh, alluded to already. Um, but I think it's easy to forget this is a guy that finished fourth at the Players, you know, third at the Heritage, third at the Quicken Loans, fifth at Bay Hill, which was another reason that he caught my eye. Just recently, he just he just seems in so much better form than what he has been showing. He's got two top nine finishes on the Corn Ferry recently. Um, and before that, he'd finished 14th for Puerto Rico and 25th Pebble Beach. So he was doing enough at this level of quality to, to stand out for me at 110 to 1. Yeah, he'd not really passed my radar, to be honest with you, but uh, he'd certainly be of some interest. He's, he's got a touch of class, hasn't he? He obviously won the Shrines a few years ago, somewhat out of the blue. Um, interesting, I, I did put him up in Puerto Rico this year, and he, and he played pretty well. I mean, obviously, it's hard without proper stats for that event to, to know exactly what happened. But part of the reasoning then was that Chesson Hadley had tweeted that he played with him, and he got absolutely battered. I think Ben Martin shot 60 or something. And look, people are sceptical about things like that as, as well, but Tony Finau last week, for a long time uh, threatened to win the tournament have, having shot 59 the week before it's it's not a bad thing um no, and i think not. i think it's clear from the people around ben martin that this is not a surprise that he's found some form again um i just want to say one more thing on venture if i may and i'm sorry to interrupt the the no, otherwise excellent flow it's interesting what you said there about trying to be something that he isn't or trying to hit too many difficult shots one of the things that seems to have underpinned his improvement in form if you look at the strokes gain numbers which generally i do his approach play is still a weakness but i noticed that in his last five starts he's been in the top 25 for greens hit on four of them and for a player like him who is one of the best putters on the pga tour this season i think he ranks fourth um you know it sounds a bit simplistic but if he if he hits 75 percent of greens he's going to make a lot of birdies because he holds so many putts uh, and i think maybe that 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 disparity between his strokes gain approach numbers which are poor and his greens in regulation numbers which are really improving is that he's just content more to hit it to 30 feet and know that that's a good chance for him and um certainly if he if he ranks 15th for greens and regulation again this week as he has it on a few occasions recently uh, you know there's there's no limit to how far he could go in this tournament 
Yeah, absolutely. And also, you, it's worth sort of thinking about is the, the company that he keeps. You know, he's coached by Claude Harmon III. He's practiced rounds with DJ and Brooks, which he'll do this week, uh, playing with Shane Larry as well. So he's getting, you know, major pedigree each week when he's when he's out practicing in Florida. And I just think that there's obviously a skill set there that people like. I mean, the coaches at Oklahoma didn't know anything about um, Victor Hovland until they were going to look at Christopher Ventura and his play. So... Um, he he was sort of the one that come first, if you like. So there's obviously something very good about him. And is he going to win this week? You know, we wish we could give you that answer. You know, if we had a, a crystal ball, we wouldn't have to do this. But he's, you know, 100 to 1. You're not taking too much of a chance on a player that's supremely talented and got a lot of potential and has already shown he can win when in the mix last year with two times out of 12 starts on the Corn Ferry. Yeah, I, I, I had a hope that he might be a bit bigger still, but I'm he's one of those, I'm not going to cut my nose off to spite my face or whatever. Like he, He's a perfectly good prize. I, I did think someone would dangle something a little bit silly, but, which I don't think they've quite done, but though he's still, you know, he's around Sam Ryder in the betting and a couple of others. I, I actually like uh, Richie Varensky, who is around in the betting as well. I, I think he's playing really, really well. Um, he's another, if you look at the birdie average stats, consistently strong. You look at where he's gone closest, um, I tipped him at 320 in the Rocket Mortgage when he was third at halfway, and you know he just kind of stayed still on the weekend, but it was still solid. And he's made every cut, dating right back to the Honda. Um, he, he was 46 here last year, but he was in dire form at the time, and um, uh, he was second in the Barracuda to your man Troy Merritt actually, and that's that's him, like low scoring. And Wierenski's one of those players. I think people think he's a bit older than he is, and he's been around a lot longer. He's, I think he's 27 or 28, and um, he, he's getting there. I, I, I don't think he's going to have a spectacular career, but I think at this level he could definitely be dangerous. So he's, um, yeah, I've jumped the gun a bit there, but he's another one for me. Yeah, and that's the thing, though, is that, like you say, I think people get pigeonholed very quickly, and it's like, okay, Wichy Wierenski is just his journeyman pro. Um, but he's not, you know. 27 is, is nothing age for a PGA Tour player. A lot of players don't hit their stride until their mid-30s. I think I think the, you know, the peak is sort of like 35 to 40 on the PGA Tour. Obviously, there's a lot of players that are putting that to bed in terms of Jordan Spieth and Morikawa's and Walsh and things like that, but... And, and there might be a new age of doing things, but there's certainly no reason to give up on a player uh, that early on in their life and, and certainly in a career when when really you can find your best stuff at the age of 40. That's the, the uniqueness of the game of golf. Absolutely, yeah. Part of the reason we love it. And I think players like him who are probably not, you know, they are not got the explosive power and they don't come out of college having, I mean, he had a good college career, but he didn't come out of college with the world at his feet. You know, no wonder it takes them a little time and their, their paths are sometimes a little bit more complicated, but that's, that, that is what adds adds richness because if it was all just a conveyor belt of college players coming out which it may one day be um, but for now there are a lot of people you'll you'll see their paths are, are slightly more complicated and you know Finau is one example like it took him a while um you know come through the big break and the corn ferry tour and um, and we're still waiting with you know Patrick Rogers was a was a can't miss kid wasn't he and was although he's established himself as a solid PGA Tour player he's not achieved anything like what we would have expected but it doesn't mean to say he won't and um I don't think he's going to make my staking plan this week but there's another player of that caliber I suppose would be Brandon Hagee um, again if we're talking he'd be one of the biggest hitters in this field and he's putting really well so that that immediately um, piqued my interest and he, he's actually been playing okay he's on sort of conditional status so he can't just rock up and play whenever he likes but you look at when he has had the opportunity to play and he was what 39th in the Rocket Mortgage 21st back in the spring at the Honda 16th in Phoenix that's you know that's not a million miles away um, and he's one if he can just sharpen up a little bit with his uh, with his long game uh, he's, he's an explosive player who could really come alive and, and he's one that you just sort of you 
wait for this sort of course because if i see him finishing 21st at the honda i think well give him a set of circumstances which are more to his liking and and he could do some damage so yeah i think he's a couple hundred to one and another that just i guess it underlines that my shortlist for this was a lot of these explosive players at big prices who yeah you pay your money and you take the chance and he could shoot 75 on day one and that's game over but uh, it wouldn't shock me if he was up there from the start either yeah, and one other person, sort of, of a maybe a similar ilk, is uh, Taylor Gooch, and I, and I spoke about him on the podcast last week because he finished seventeenth at the Charity Open after a, a run of miscuts and withdrawals. Um, but he'd ranked inside the top uh, nine in both approaches and uh, tee to green that week. Um, and he, you know, he's a player that certainly come out and, and took advantage of some limited starts. I know he finished tenth uh, at Riviera early in the season. He's finished fourth at the Desert Classic. Uh, third at Terry Vines, like we said, in 2019. Um, it just seems to me he's had two decent finishes at the, you know, the Desert Classic and the American Express where, you know, birdies are, you know, the, the requirement and, and go low. And if he's going to put the ball as close as he can do when he's on form, I thought 110 times interesting about a player that people are expecting to win at some point, if not soon. Yeah, I take a generally good view of him. Um, I think he, he's one a good example of a player whose momentum was, was stopped at the wrong time. Um, you know, you go back to the spring, he finished 13th in the Arnold Palmer and he said 10 at Riviera. I, I put him up for a top 20 there, a big price, actually. He, he played beautifully all week. Um, you know, from tee to green, he really could have uh, done a lot more damage than he did. But obviously, when you tip someone who was probably 400 to one outright, you, you really don't want them to finish any higher than about 10th <laughs> if, you've, if you've gone for the top 20. So um, he's a player I like. He's one of those, you know, you know people leave in sort of indelible marks on you, don't they? And I remember when he contended for that Desert Classic, he, he didn't win in the end. Um was it Adam Long, wasn't it, that, that year? Yeah. Um, but the shots he hit down the stretch, I, I was watching that thinking, I don't know a lot about this guy, but he's got it. You know, he he's not going to back down. He's going to. He, he had that little low raking hook off the tee that you just think he knows that he can trust himself under pressure. And I was really impressed with him. And, and he does have these weeks where he, he hits the ball to a very, very high standard. So any player like that is... I always think they've got untapped potential because, uh, you know, if they just start to piece together the short game or get on, on a roll and their confidence gets high, then they can they can start to show something that they've not previously showed. So, yeah, he'd be, he'd be interesting. And I, I think it would probably help him a little bit if it is just a shot or two tougher and it, and it blows a little bit. I know it's probably a little bit of a, a worn line, but I think he went to Oklahoma, didn't he? And generally speaking, they, they play plenty of golf in the wind, so that's no bad thing. Yeah, and, you know, just looking at Leaderboard last year, he was last of of the people to make the the three-day cut but he drops 26 places on the final day shooting at 75 so he had played some decent golf up until the final round um and i just thought in a in a field where there's a lot of question marks about a lot of players that uh, it was interesting to mention his name is there anyone that we've kind of overlooked in the in the odds wise that you sort of think might make your plan or that you're interested in this week a couple more uh, that are worth mentioning i thought tom lewis might quite like this and he was 12th in the rocket mortgage last time um the, the first really sort of meaningful pga tour form he's shown but he did if you remember lead after round one of the honda and then his putter just misbehaved in round two and he he was soon out of contention he nearly did the sort of full cameo uh, as they call it so um it but i think generally speaking he's getting a bit more comfortable and i think this is probably a lot more you know it's a fairly modern looking you know wouldn't be dissimilar to the portugal masters and the Dubai course is where he tends to go really well um i thought he was a little bit short so he's not making the staking plan but um don't be surprised if tom lewis is up there interesting you mentioned the desert classic because i've, I've looked and looked at hudson swafford i don't think i can quite see enough positives um but the two i'm very seriously weighing up um i've already talked about Hagee, so i'll leave him alone but uh, jinjun zhang 
I hope I've done his name justice there, but um, he's another. He was third in birdie average on the Corn Ferry Tour last season. He's 31st currently this season. Um, if you look at the start of the season, he was seventh in the Safeway, and then he went 16th and 14th his next two starts. Well, with that in mind, because that came kind of out of nowhere, the fact that he was 10th last week at Memorial, although it's a very different test, I thought maybe he's the sort of player that just gets something and runs with it. I'm, you know, I'm speculating, but that's, that's built into the price. Um, he won a Conferry tour event in 26 under par. His other was 15 under. I think we'd probably be split those two. You, you're not far off the winning score. It, to be honest, probably more 18 would do. Um, but I, I just thought it was quite interesting and he was solid throughout the bag last week. I, I think if he can putt just as he had um, at Memorial, I think he was 15th or 16th. That, that's the sort of level where he's, he can get competitive and he is a really streaky player. I think his, his first crack at PGA Tour golf a couple of years ago, for all that he didn't really do a lot, he did make a lot of birdies. So um, he he was of interest um, and he's about 150 to 1. So I, I think whether or not this comes out before my preview or, or whatever, when if people do go and read my preview, you should definitely expect to see some unfamiliar names, shall we say, at big prices in the hope that we go into Sunday with at least a, a chance of landing some place money. Because as we touched upon at the start there, that those market leaders, if any of them win, so be it as long as it's not Russell Henley. Yeah, and that's the thing, isn't it? It is one of those weeks. It's interesting you mentioned Tom Lewis because, you know, he did finish 12th at the Rocket Mortgage, um, and that was sort of a step up from winning on that Corn Ferry Tour event that he won last year. I think he's really starting to see his game trend in the direction that people expected it to be, uh, and he's obviously shown that, I think, by staying in America rather than going back for the UK swing. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he gets on. Um, one other name that I thought overlooked a little bit was Charlie Hoffman. I think you know he can get going in this sort of uh, event and this type of field, um, but he wasn't really big enough considering his form. Um, there's there's one guy that you know had one of the most unlikely wins on the PGA Tour. Um, he beat David Lynn in a playoff to win that event, um, <laughs> and, and and they both beat Mickelson. Is is Derek Ernst, and he's actually very quietly gone tenth, twelfth, and fifth on the Corn Ferry Tour. Now, I don't know if I expect him to get a bit of a wake-up call this week when he comes back to the PGA Tour or not, but as we've spoken all the way throughout the podcast, good form is good form, isn't it? And it's hard to ignore. And I just thought that if he's playing at that level, it's clearly a confidence thing. And I read a quote basically saying that uh, his wife told him it was about time he considered a different career. And I think some people just need a bit of a kick up the arse. And, uh, you know... He he probably won that event, you know, was it 2014, and thought, okay, well, this is a uh, this is a bit easy, um, and then and then kind of quickly found out it's not, and you know, maybe now the the kick that he needed is, is getting him into some gear, and he actually is playing some decent golf at a big price. At it, it it could be, and look, if you do a uh, you put him and uh, and a player we both like Ventura side by side in their Corn Ferry Tour form, well, it's slightly better. Um, and yet he's about a 300 to one shot. So I can I can certainly see why he would make the list. I mean, when he, he won that tournament um, at Quail Hollow, obviously it was that crazy week with the greens had been dug up and they were just awful. And I think Rory and Phil and Nick Watney and various other good players sort of came to the top of the leaderboard, then capitulated. And, and we, we ended up with, with a real pointless answer, if you like. Um, but he, you know, he... He wasn't without pedigree. He was a good amateur, and he, more to the point, he was a really good ball striker at the time. Um, and it's just not worked out for him. And you know, there, I'm sure there are any number of reasons for that. I think it's his only PGA Tour top ten, isn't it? In however many starts, probably about 100 starts um, at this level. So, you know, who, who knows? But I, I would certainly not um, seek to undermine 
the form he's put together on, on the Corn Ferry Tour. I mean, if he was playing the Corn Ferry this week, you'd have to make him one of the favourites. Um, and that alone uh, has to make you of interest because we've, we've got players like Chris Kirk and Luke List. Uh, like I said earlier, you know, they're coming up from the Corn Ferry. And I know look, Luke List is not a Corn Ferry Tour player. He's a PGA Tour player who went down to the Corn Ferry and won. But, he, you know, he's, he's at 50, 60 to 1 this week. And Ernst's form is broadly comparable. So, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be putting you off there. Um, just hope that he uh, hits it like he did at Quail Hollow uh, six <laughs> or seven years ago. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. I don't think if I, you know, if I was writing a preview, I probably wouldn't even mention his name. It's just one of those things that when you're talking and going for a, a list of you know, of names and, and odds is one that stuck out. Another player like that is Jonathan Bird at 500 to 1. He's basically priced as if he's got one arm um, and he finished 12th at the Rocket Borgie just like two starts ago. Uh, that was a, an outlier in some pretty terrible form. Um, but if the John Deere is any sort of indicator, he's obviously got a win in the second there. Um, obviously likes the part of the world. Is it going to help him that he's on a, a massively easy course this week and, and has to keep up with low scoring? You know, that's what he showed at Rocket Mortgage. So, uh, again, it's not someone I particularly think can win, but a 500-1, I just thought he was he stood out as a big price when you when you put him against the names that he's kind of priced with. He'd be one of those, Bird, like, um, you know, I'm sure neither of us can really see him winning. It doesn't take a genius to work that out at 500-1, but, um, you know... You, a top 20 maybe i mean he was he was 12th as you say in the rocket mortgage but you go back to last year 15th in the barracuda 14th in the canadian open won by mcelroy uh 21st in puerto rico 22nd in pebble beach 23rd at the rsm classic you know there's, there's quite a lot of um because he doesn't get to play that often on the pga tour at the moment there's quite a lot of the time he's been around the 12th to 20th or thereabouts and you certainly get i guess you get about 14 to 1 for a top 20 this week so i, I could i could certainly see that it's a sort of week where and i've written this i have written the a good chunk of my preview at the at the top and i've written that you know whatever happens we won't be able to say that that was predictable um because even if the favorite wins we're talking about a guy who's going to have won the week after he shot 80 80 um so there, there really is nothing that can happen here that we can say that was you know totally expected or or foreseeable um obviously to varying degrees i think jonathan bird winning would just be about as uh, as unexpected <laughs> as it comes but there'll be players like that right in the mix on sunday i'm absolutely sure of it yeah, that's the thing. I think, you know, when we mentioned these names, it's one of those things where, you know, last week it was a case of you didn't think you could look past probably the top 10 in the betting and it worked out that Ron won. Um, but it did look for a little while like it, it wasn't going to go down to that case. Um, I know obviously you put Fino up yourself. Um, but this week, I, I do really think we're going to see some some names that we're not really kind of, you know, attuned to seeing on the on the leaderboards. I mean, last season, you had Joey Garber finished tied for seventh. Um you know, that's not a name you're you're used to seeing. Um, you know, it, it's just one of those ones where people are just going to go up the leaderboard. Charlie Daniels and Adam Svensson both finished tied for 15th. I think when you've got an easy course coupled with easy conditions, you can you can get sort of anyone. They're all professional golfers. They can all shoot low scores. So, um, yeah, I just thought that it was an interest to, to put up someone that's obviously a proven winner, you know, over the years, a long time ago, albeit. But just at 500 to 1, it's just... It only takes him to have a low couple of rounds to really feature up there and, and fall dramatically in price. Yeah, I so, think I think we've got the the perfect scenario or circumstances in terms of versus the last six weeks, but probably as close to it as we've had the whole season of a big price winner who 
we we can see has the ability to win a tournament like this and you know hopefully it's ventura for for your podcast will do some better numbers (laughs) interview i'm sure people will be rewinding to listen to uh, what he said to you then and you know he'd be a great result for a lot of people i think this week but I, i definitely see a player like that winning it it's just a case of landing on the right one yeah, absolutely. Look, I think there's, uh, I think we've gone through plenty there. We've, we've overrun slightly to what we said we were going to do, so I'm going to let you go. I know you're very busy. You've got some articles to finish up and things like that. But no, thank you for stepping in. It was uh, nice to have you on, and uh, we'll certainly catch up in the future and do it again. A pleasure, Tom. Thanks very much, and uh, I'll look forward to hearing Jason next week. Save me having to do so much research. <laughs> Take care, Ben. See you soon.